Welcome. You're listening to the Heritage Podcast. To learn more about Heritage, including meeting times and upcoming events, visit us online at www.heritageff.org. Now, let's get into today's podcast. Praise God. Well, it's so awesome to have you here. Uh, my name is Brent Aragon. I will be teaching today, and uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, I'm going to be continuing my message. Last week, we talked about moments in Christ, moments in our lives. I truly believe that there are moments in our lives. This week, we're talking about one moment with Jesus can radically change everything. I truly believe that one moment with God will radically change your life for the better from where you are. You know, last week, we talked about there's moments in our lives, there's things that happen, whether good or bad, that bring us to the place to where we are today. We can look back at our lives and and pinpoint things that have happened that have changed our outlook, changed how we treat people, changed how we see circumstances and situations in our lives. It's these moments that have developed us into the place or the person that we are today. So I kind of want to continue on in that. You know, uh, in life, there are circumstances, like I said, there's moments that can kind of make a, uh, a time of adjustment in our lives whether it's a new job, whether it's a friend, whether it's a relationship maybe. There's a time period of adjustment that needs to take place. Uh, Last year, December 25th, I got married to Alina, which is right here, she's amazing. And um, how many of you know when you get married, when you get into a new relationship, there's a time of adjustment. And having her move in was a time of adjustment. Not only did she move in, but all of her stuff moved in. Actually, not even all of it, because she's got tons of it that is still at her mom's house. But she moved her stuff in, so that means clothing, that means shoes, that means purses, and yes, that means makeup. Uh, my place is not that big. It's a two-bedroom, and if you were to come over, you could tell that for the longest time, it was only boys in the house. You could see toys everywhere. You could see surfboards and skateboards. Like, I literally have a shelf with action figures displayed on it. So when you come in, you can tell that this is a boy's house. I had surfboards on every single corner, blocking windows even. I have skateboards up on the walls. And as soon as Alina moved in, she said, you know, I love you, but there's some things that need to change in the house. So she said, we got to take this surfboard down and open up the windows. I used to have everything blocked up. You got to take some skateboards off the walls and all this kind of stuff. And she started saying things that are, are uh, saying, let's change this and let's change that. And as a good husband, I just went to the other room and griped about it so she couldn't hear. <laughs> but no, then I brought everything down. And it's just been a time of adjustment in our lives and all for the better. But there was one thing that I'm still getting used to. And that is that, see, growing up, I went to the beach a lot. Uh, came home sandy. Taj, now we, we run around outside barefoot. Anybody ever run around outside barefoot? It just feels good, right? It feels like you're one with nature. Elena does not like that. <laughs> she doesn't like when you're outside barefoot and then you come back inside and you're bringing all the junk from outside into the house. That is a big no-no for her. She does not like that. So every chance when we were about to run outside, she would say, put some sandals on, put some shoes on. And Taj and I, it's not, we're not used to that because we're used to just, as soon as we hear the, the ice cream truck, we run outside. Doesn't matter what you're wearing, you just run outside. So there's been this time of adjustment that she doesn't want the dirt from outside coming inside. And I was totally fine being dirty. There was a time in my life where 
I would come home from the beach full of sand and, and salt water, and I would literally just wash my hands, my feet, and my face, and I'd be good for the rest of the day. Like, once you wash your hands, your feet, and your face, everything else in the middle is fine. Like, it doesn't matter. As long as you've got clean hands, clean feet, and a clean face, you're good. <laughs> but that had to change. And it's still this time of getting used to it. I remember I was completely fine with dirty feet until I was flying one time. You ever been flying and, and you know, you're, you're in the, uh, the window side, right? And so you know, you're up against the window. And I remember I was sitting there and this guy stuck his feet up on the armrest. You know what I'm saying? Like you're sitting there minding your own business. You've got a bubble inside the plane and someone put his feet up and he had no shoes on, no socks on with dirty feet at the bottom. And I was literally just so disgusted. I did, like, was like grossed out. And I remember I hit him with my elbow so he would move his feet. And it was just so disgusting. And I realized at that moment that dirty feet is not a good thing. So yes, I agree with my wife that I need to clean my feet more often. I do. I'm not trying to say I'm dirty. <laughs> but there's times of adjustment. There's moments that we can look back on our life and say, these are times of adjustment. It's not always easy. How many of you can look back on your life and say, there are moments that have happened, things that I've gone through that have literally changed the way I see things, and it's been an adjustment from where I was to where I am today. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you for today's service. I thank you for each and every person that is in attendance here and online. I thank you that they're going to leave this encounter better than the way that they came with a better understanding of who you are in their lives. I declare that you would increase in me and I would decrease, that you would think through my mind, that you would talk through my lips, that it would be all of you, Father, and none of me. In Jesus' name, amen. Talking about these moments that we go through, I want to talk about a moment for a couple of minutes here that is the reason we're all here. Over 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Jesus who willingly gave his life. He was nailed to a cross and he shed his blood that moment radically changed each and every one of our lives. If it wasn't for that moment in time, none of us would be here right now. And because of that, that decision that he made on the cross, we're all here celebrating freedom today because of the price that was paid on the cross. That moment is beautiful. It's, it's this moment that we look to, but in Jesus' life, there's other monumental moments that we can look at that laid a foundation for who he is. I think about his birth. You know, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. You know when we celebrate it? Christmas. Yes, it's not a trick question. We celebrate Jesus' birth on Christmas. It, it was beautiful. It says that, that angels filled the sky and rejoiced about his entry into heaven. They sing, holy, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. They, they, they proclaimed that peace on earth and goodwill towards man because a savior has been born this day. There's other monumental moments that I like to think about. I like to think about the one where, where Jesus was in the temple talking with the scribes and the Pharisees and they were in awe at the knowledge that he had and the understanding of scripture. Or, or I like to talk about, the, I like to think about the baptism when he comes to his cousin John to be baptized and, and he says that the skies opened up and God, the creator, of all physical and natural things, declares, this is my son and who I am well pleased. That's a monumental moment that we can look to. And I like the, the moment where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane 
on his knees in prayer and communion with God. It's a beautiful scenery that we have. And of course, there's the crucifixion and the resurrection. These are beautiful moments. They're moments that have shaped our lives and our outlook on life and how we see others today. You know, these, these times in, in Jesus' life were prophesied about. Turn with me, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Isaiah is in the Old Testament. If you can't find it, just copy on the person next to you. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says this. For unto you a child is born, and unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. How beautiful is this? Listen to this description. He will be called Wonderful, a Counselor, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. This is who Jesus is in our lives. This is a monumental moment that we can glean from, that we can look to, that you are our Everlasting Father. You're our counselor. You're our, our help in a time of need. You're our prince of peace. You are all these things. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, 5 through 7. I want to read. Actually, I'm going to start at verse 4. I'm going to read into it. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He opened not his mouth. He was laid as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep to the shearer, and silent. It says that he opened not his mouth. This, this moment that we have is this, this picture that we see of Jesus being whipped, being beaten, being led to the cross. It says like a lamb to the slaughter, he he went, and, and this, this portion of scripture, scripture just always stuck out to me. It, it just screamed at me, and it says, He opened not his mouth. And this is so out of the ordinary and so weird to even think about. Have you ever been walking in your, your house at night and you stub your toe? Your, your silence is the hardest thing and the furthest thing from your mind. You, you want to scream, you want to kick. Some of you may use some other choice words. We're in church, it's okay. Judgment. <laughs> but there's this, this silence that says that he opened not his mouth. This is so out of the ordinary. And it always struck me that it even puts that in there, that Jesus opened not his mouth. <laughs> hey, it's me. But it says in Scripture that he opened not his mouth. And then I'm reminded in the book of Matthew. Turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew is in the New Testament. I know we're jumping around today, which is good. You get some, a little bit of workout in the Scriptures. Matthew chapter 26, verse 53. 
Matthew 26, 53. See, when it, the scripture says, he opened not his mouth. And then I'm reminded of this scripture, this time in scripture. This is where, where uh, uh, Jesus is in the garden and the, gu the guards, they come to arrest him. And, they, and, and, and they're like, Jesus is like, oh, who are you looking for? And they're like, we're looking for Jesus. And he says, I am he. And they all fall out. And then they come back again. And Peter, Peter, his, there's this crazy guy, Peter, pulls out a sword to defend Jesus. And it says that he tries to kill one of the guards and he misses his head and cuts off his ear. And first off, Jesus is like, who gave Peter a sword? We know Peter can't fight, guys. Peter, put your sword away. You, you, you went for his head, you got his ear. This is horrible. You're making a fool of yourself. Put your, no. But Peter tries to defend Jesus. And I love this portion of scripture. Matthew chapter 26, verse 53. Or do you think that I cannot pray to my Father and he will not provide me more than 12 legion of angels? See, and Isaiah says that he, he wouldn't even open his mouth. He stayed silent to what was happening to him. And in Matthew it says that he declares... You don't think that I can call upon my father and he would send me 12 legion of angels. You know what 12 legion is? That's over 70,000 angels. He's literally flexing on them. You, you think I can't call on angels right now and they would come and just eradicate the entire earth? You, you, you think that angels aren't standing by at the ready watching you beat my body and, and tear me apart and you think... I could not call them if I needed to. I see this, this keeping your mouth quiet is so far from what I would do. If someone were hitting me, I would be screaming out at them. See, Jesus is going through all this stuff. And, and do you think that at any moment he would have said, enough, stop. Angels would not have rushed in and just destroyed everybody. But he didn't. It says that he opened not his mouth. He didn't say one word. Why? Because he knew your life was on the other side of his sacrifice. See, he, he knew what he was doing, but he saw you in his pain. He said, I, I'm doing this not for myself. I, I'm doing this for so-and-so. I'm doing this for that person. I'm doing this so they, they don't have to live in fear. So, so they don't have to live in depression. So that they don't have to live with anxieties and pains and hurts and sicknesses. Uh, they, I'm doing this for them. He says that he kept his mouth shut. I think it's beautiful that right before we get to that verse, we see him in the garden. And in Matthew right here, Matthew 26, 39, it says this. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Nevertheless, this is Jesus in his humanity asking God, God, I understand what I'm about to do. I understand the pain that I'm about to go through, that it's not just about me. I, I know that I'm doing this for humanity, that I'm about to shed my blood for those who, who don't deserve it, who will never receive what I'm doing for them, and I'm about to do it, God. But if there is any other way, 
please let this cup pass. His humanity is, is crying out. But immediately his spirit rose up and he says, but nevertheless, nevertheless, God, it's not my will. It's your will. See, Jesus could keep his mouth shut during the beating, during being stretched onto a cross. He could keep his silence because he had already beat the cross in the garden. See, it says he prayed so strong and so fervently and, and the, the, the weight of the cross fell on him at that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. The weight of everything that was happening was placed upon him at that very time. When he cries out, if there's any other way, God, I'm feeling everything. I know that I'm going to take their sins. I'm going to take their sorrows. I'm going to take their brokenness. I'm going to take it all. If there's any other way, God, it says that he began to sweat blood. His prayer and his conversation with God was so strong to the point that he began to, just blood began to pour out of his pores. And in this moment of humanity, God, is there any other way? But he was immediately brought back into the strength of the Spirit and he said, but not my will if your will be done. And then it says that angels came and ministered to him. See, what you can't defeat in the natural, you can defeat in prayer. God, God's never asked you to go and fight natural battles. He said, our, our warfare is not against flesh and blood. Things are beat, developed, and conquered in prayer. So he could keep his mouth shut because he had already whipped the cross in prayer. And this is a beautiful time that we see this moment in Jesus' life. This moment of his humanity coming out and the spirit pulling it back. This moment in the, in the garden has changed our lives today. Because he whipped the cross then, we can be free today. We can walk in the freedoms that we have, the, the freedom of anxiety, the freedom of fear, the freedom of sickness, the freedom of disease. Every disease, every virus was laid upon him at that time. Coronavirus was whipped in the garden. You, you think God was surprised that this came up? You think he was taken off guard? No, he knew it was coming. He said, I'll take it now. I, I, I'll take that pain for them so they don't have to go through it. And, and this, this beautiful picture we have of Jesus on the cross, it's, it's, it's just a disgusting, beautiful image that we have of Jesus beaten, torn, and tattered on a cross. It's a moment that we, we look to, that we celebrate and we we thank God for sending his son to die on the cross for us, and it's a beautiful moment. But there's a moment that I want to shed some light on that is right before we get to the cross. I, I believe it's a monumental moment in Jesus' life. 
It's a moment where we have no multitude following him and thronging him and trying to be around him. You know, wherever Jesus went, there was always groups of people that just wanted to be within the vicinity, that wanted to touch him, that wanted to be a part of what he was doing, whatever was going on. I want to be a part of what Jesus, and they would throng. They would push after him, follow him from city to city. But in this moment, there was nobody around. This moment that I want to talk about, it's not about all the, the, the multitudes that were there. No healings happened. No miracles. No, no dead were raised. No blinded eyes were opened. No lepers were cleansed. No lame were walking. It was just Jesus in a room with 14 other people. It's a moment that I've read through numerous times in my life and I would constantly just skim over you ever just skim over scripture because you know the story so well that you no longer take the time to read through each scripture and each through word and and desire to get something little but you just you know the scripture so you just skim through it and you get to the parts that you like the best anybody ever do that am I just the one no we in church come on you don't have to lie there's this moment in in Jesus's life that I want to bring some light to it's this last supper that we have. The Lord's Supper, some say. And it's Jesus in an upper room with his disciples and two helpers, probably. And, and this moment was just, it's so out of the ordinary to me. You know, it's, like I said, something I've, I've read through numerous times and always just would skim through it and not really pay it any or pay it any mind or any attention but turn with me to John chapter 13 John chapter 13 and these moments in our lives John chapter 13 verse 5 actually verse 4 I'm going to read and we'll go down into verse 5 and it says this He God Jesus arose from the supper and laid aside his garment and took the towel and girded it around himself. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. And he wiped them with the towel that was girded around him. So this, it doesn't seem like much. We've all heard, if you've read through the Last Supper, I'm sure that you've come across this portion of scripture where it says that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And it's something I've skipped over so many times in my life. But studying for this message, studying about the moments in Jesus' life, this stuck out to me like a sore thumb. It just was so loud in my heart, this portion of Scripture that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. I don't know why this time it stuck out to me. And I begin to think about what would happen. Why would somebody wash someone else's feet? Now, in that time, first century Jewish world, there was no tennis shoes. There was no Yeezys, there was no Jordans, there was no Converse, there was no Vans, there was none of that, no boots, no nothing. Everybody walked around in sandals, or like me, barefoot. So walking around the town, the town was not paved, there was not dirt, um, gravel roads, it was all dirt. So you're walking around in dirt, you're dirty. Walking around, all, Jesus walked everywhere he went. He didn't have Uber, he didn't have Lyft. Walked everywhere. So they come to this upper room, and what would happen as you entered into someone's house, there would be a servant or a, a, um, a someone who was in the home that would wash the, the uh, person's feet. Whoever was a, a guest, 
they would come in and they would wash their feet as a sign of respect and to clean them as they came into their house. Every single person, doesn't matter who you were, when you entered someone's house, you washed their feet. So we see this picture of now Jesus with all of his disciples laying on it, they're, they're kneeling back or are leaning back on this table. And Jesus, with all of his disciples, see, they have been to, to uh, um, uh, Passover meals before. This wasn't their first rodeo. And they have done this year after year with each other. But something was different about this time. See, something was different about this Passover. Why? Because Jesus knew that after this, I'm going to the cross. But they didn't understand. They saw this just as another last, just as another Passover meal together. But Jesus does something completely different. I love that Jesus does not miss an opportunity to illustrate, to teach, and to illuminate their lives. He doesn't let a moment go by. He takes this time to create a moment that would change their lives. Jesus gets up from the table and takes off his coat and he lays it down. He takes a towel that is sitting by and he wraps it around his waist and he gets a, a, a pitcher of water and pours it into a basin. So the disciples are obviously seeing what he's doing. Like your rabbi, your teacher is, is at the table and then all of a sudden he gets up and starts doing all of this stuff. You as his pupil would begin like, what is he doing? What, what's going on? I don't understand what's going on. And they're all watching Jesus. Maybe they're talking, and then they're like, hey, hey, look at what's going on with Jesus. He's being weird. He gets up and starts doing all this stuff, and he's walking around with this pitcher, and he's walking around with this basin, and he walks over to one of the disciples and kneels down and begins to take off their sandal. Now, immediately they know that when you come into the house, someone does this, but nobody's there to do it, so nobody offered to do it. Nobody was like, Jesus, let me wash your feet. You've been working all this time. You've been ministering. You've been doing all this stuff for the people. Let me worship. Let me help you. Let me, let me take care of you, my man of God. Let me, let me do them. Nobody. Everybody just went in and grabbed their seat and got ready. So Jesus kneels down and begins to wash his disciples' feet. And they must have been in shock. Like, what is going on? First off, this is the servant's duty. This is the lowest of the servant's duty because nobody wants to get up in somebody's crusty feet. And here, Jesus, our rabbi, our teacher, our, our everything, our Lord and Lord, our counselor, our wonderful king, our, our prince of peace, every, he is everything and he's on his knees washing our feet. This is so out of character and so weird as a disciple, I would have been like, no, 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 you don't have to do that. It's okay, it's okay, it's fine. My feet are dirty, it's okay. You know. And Jesus begins to go to each and every disciple and continue washing each and every one of their feet. The, the, the weight of what was coming on or what was taking place that moment, they didn't understand. They didn't understand what was going on because they didn't know 24 hours from now Jesus would be nailed to a cross. They didn't know that as soon as they were done with this last this supper, this last supper, that Jesus would go before the courts and be condemned as a, a, a common criminal, a blasphemer. 
and go through such torture. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't have an understanding that this was the last moment they would be with him before he went to the cross. They didn't know. The significance of what was going on, of what was taking place. This, this moment in Jesus' life that he was spending, that he was pouring into them again. And Jesus goes to each and every one of them and washes their feet. It wouldn't dawn on them until 48 hours later, until Jesus is laid in a borrowed tomb, that they would all be together. They begin to think about the things that they've done with Jesus, the memories and the moments that they shared together. We've all had loved ones that we've lost, the loved ones that have gone on to be with the Lord, that have exited this world and entered into heaven. And we think back at the moments that we had with them and the joyful times that we had. You think the disciples wouldn't have been any different? You think they're not thinking about the moments of, of, oh, I remember when Jesus did this and he raised this person from the dead and he cast out this demon. And then all of a sudden, the, mar- the memory of him washing their feet would have struck them. <laughs> you, you, you remember when we were in the upper room? You, you remember when we were in the upper room and Jesus, he, he got down on his feet and he washed my feet. And, and he washed your feet. You remember that? Yeah, I, I remember. It was so weird. I don't understand why he would do that. And it might be, for me, I think about what Jesus was feeling as he was doing it. You ever try to put yourself in the story or in the account? And I can almost picture Jesus kneeling down and washing the feet of his disciples. And he comes to each and every one of them. And he's probably thinking in his mind, Philip, you remember that time, Philip? And when you didn't know how we were going to feed the 5,000, you didn't understand you were only looking at what you outwardly had. You, you only had five fish and two loaves. You only had just a basket of food. You didn't understand that what's in your hand can't be multiplied unless you put it in my hand. That as soon as it left your hands and you released it into my care, I was able to multiply. Remember that, Philip? And he's washing his feet. Or maybe he gets to Thomas and he goes, Thomas, you're not going to be there when I get back. And the disciples are going to tell you that I've returned, but you're going to doubt. And it's okay. And as he's pouring water on his, on his dirty feet, and he's thinking, I'm pouring water on you the same way I've poured into your life for the last three years. I'm pouring this water onto your life the same way that I will pour my blood upon the cross for those who will never accept me. Thomas, you're going to doubt, but it's okay. I still love you. And I still honor you, and I still treasure you, and I still esteem you as my own, and I've called you by name. And then maybe he gets to Peter. Or maybe in John, I go, he gets to John, he goes, John, as he's thinking, is John, you're the only one that's going to be there. Everybody else will leave, but you'll be the only one at the foot of the cross. And I'm going to give you the hardest task, and that is to look after my mama. John, everybody talked about it, but you were really about it. And and we have the account when he gets to Peter. He gets to Peter and says this. Let's keep reading. Starting off at at verse 6. It says, And he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, you are washing, you are, uh, 
Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus said to him, I am doing to you, but you do not understand now. But you will know after this. And Peter says to him, you shall never wash my feet. I think it's funny that the people that are most vocal to be about something usually ain't about something. Peter's like, Lord, you're not washing my feet and there's no way. There's no way you're going to wash my feet, Lord, because I, I, I love you so much. I can't let you wash my feet. And then Peter says this. And Peter said, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered and said to him, if I do not wash your feet, then you have no part with me. And Simon Peter says, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. In other words, everything. All right, God, then, then wash everything. I want my hands, my feet. My, 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 my face, everything, just wash it all. And then Jesus sits down and he, he's washing his feet and he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to deny the very existence of who I am to you. But it's okay, I still love you. And I've called you despite this. And then the hardest part the disciples, as they're remembering this moment where Jesus goes down and washes every single person's feet, every disciple gets their feet washed, and they all had to have remembered when Jesus sat down and began to loosen the sandal of Judas and began to wash Judas's feet. This is the guy that betrayed him. This is the guy that portrayed our Lord. And Jesus, I have this picture of Jesus kneeling down, washing Judas' feet, even though Jesus knew that he was going to betray him right afterward. That Jesus goes above and beyond, and, and he loves the unlovable, and he reaches the unreachable, and he touches the untouchable, and he kneels down, and, and he washes the feet of his betrayer. The one that would just... And moments later, hours later, would sell him for 30 pieces of silver, a slave's wage. This, this Jesus is unthinkable, unknowable, unreachable. I don't understand that Jesus would kneel down and wash the feet of the very person that would betray him. See, the, this picture that we have of of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. It's a, it's a spectrum of all of us. I, I'm almost positive that each and every one of us can see ourselves in one of the disciples, and not because they're great, but because of their faults and because of their failures. This, this band of misfits. I'm sure that there's times in your life where you've doubted God in your life. Like Jesus, yes, I know what it says in Scripture, and I know I've heard, I've prayed, and I've asked for things, but it's not happening. And, and I'm beginning to doubt that you're really who you say you are in my life. And I'm beginning to doubt your existence. I'm, be, I'm beginning to doubt that you even love me. Or maybe you're like Peter, where you've literally just turned away from God and said, I, I don't know you anymore. I don't have a relationship with you anymore. I don't... I want nothing to do with you anymore. Or maybe you're like Judas and you've betrayed people. You've turned your back on them. You've lied about somebody. You've 
just literally destroyed someone's life. We can see ourselves in them, their faults, their shortcomings, their mistakes. And, but Jesus still knelt down and washed each and every one of their feet. Our Lord, our Savior, our Prince of Peace, our everlasting Father does the unthinkable and reaches the unreachable. John chapter 13, 13 through 15 says this. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for I am so. If I then your Lord, your teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. This picture See, the weight of what happened hit them 48 hours later. This this picture, this moment that we have with Jesus didn't register until after the fact. I don't understand why he's washing our feet. He's showing us how to love the unlovable. How do we reach the unreachable? By humbling ourselves and not looking at them for what they can do for me, but what I can do for them. See, God's calling you to love people that you don't love. God's calling you to go after people that you don't like. Scripture says, do as I have done. Love as I have loved. I'm here today to encourage you to love like he loves you. To treat others with mercy and grace the same way that he's shown it towards you. I know I've made mistakes. I know that I've made plenty of mistakes, past, present, and future. I know I'm going to make more. But I serve a God, I serve a God that says, I'll wash your feet, I'll carry your sorrows. I'll take it on myself. I'll shed my blood for you, not because you're good, not because you've earned it, not because you've done something to elevate yourself to the deserving of it, but because I love you. And I yearn for a relationship with you. I'm not looking for perfect people. I'm looking for broken people. People who will answer the call, who will say yes to God. See, that moment in time changed their lives forever. That was a call, a commission. Do as I have done. Love how I have loved. That sent them on their way. That laid a foundation for the rest of the Gospels. For them preaching the Gospel. So today, I'm asking you to do the same. I'm asking you to go and do as he has done. I'm not saying you need to run around and just wash everybody's feet. I'm telling you to love as he has loved. Show mercy and grace the same way he shows it towards you every single day. Love the unlovable. Reach the unreachable. And touch the untouchable. God has called us to do amazing things, but we can't do it if we're judging others. Jesus could have judged Peter right then, but he got, I mean, Judas right then, but he got down and he washed his betrayer's feet. This is a beautiful image that I want to leave you with, that Jesus loves the unlovable and he reaches the unreachable. Amen. Praise God. If you were encouraged by today's message and believe it would be uplifting to others, then be sure to rate us and hit subscribe. To experience more of Heritage, visit us at www.heritageff.org. 
Again, thank you for listening to the Heritage Podcast today. And remember, Jesus is Lord.